Good morning and welcome to the ninth annual Ethics at the Beach. I'm Asia Celestino. Today we are recording from Cal State University Long Beach. Critical Mass Radio Show is a business talk show airing live on Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we'd love for you to listen during our live broadcast times. Today's discussion is centered on ethical leadership, behavior, and consequences, real-life results. Our goal is to help you students to learn more about business ethics and how to apply a moral code in your own career endeavors. Here to offer their perspective is our expert panel, and I'm going to go down the line and give an introduction to each. This panelist attended the UC Irvine School of Law and graduated with the class of 2014. She was admitted to the California State Bar in December 2014. She is currently an associate at Rattan and Tucker LLP, a full-service law firm in Costa Mesa. She graduated from Cal State Long Beach in 2011 with a bachelor's in international business, business economics, and a minor in political science. In addition to participating in the Euclea Center's Student Leadership Institute, she completed she competed with Cal State Long Beach's first intercollegiate business ethics case study competition. Please join me in welcoming Celeste All. Our next panelist was appointed as the 26th Chief of Police for the Long Beach Police Department in November 2014. He has served Long Beach, the second largest city in Los Angeles County, for 29 years. He has extensive experience in disaster and emergency preparedness, terrorism considerations, critical incident management, and the development of effective problem-solving strategies in accordance with proven community-oriented public safety and governance philosophies. His crime prevention and reduction ideas, coupled with his bilingual abilities and dedication to public service, have given him the opportunity to effectively interact and participate with a uniquely engaged communi community. This panelist has been instrumental in helping to build and maintain productive and trustworthy relationships between the police department and the community it proudly serves. On top of everything, he's also a Cal State Long Beach alum. Please join me in welcoming Chief Robert Luna. And of course, last but not least, our panelist graduated at the top of her class from Universidad Iberoamericana with a bachelor's in communications. She moved to Southern California to pursue postgraduate business and marketing degrees at UCLA. This panelist completed an executive business program at Harvard Business School, for which she was awarded the Diversity Fellowship. As general manager of Univision Cable Networks, she is responsible for operations, on and off-air promotions, consumer marketing, content development, honor branding and promotions, ad sales integrations, and social media engagement strategies for Galavision and Univision Telenovelas Networks. She is currently pursuing her MBA at Cal State University, Long Beach. Oh yeah. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Ariella Nerubai. Thank you again to our expert panel for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to give your perspective. So uh, again, keep your questions in your mind, on your papers, because we'll have a Q&A with them. Um, to start, tell us a little bit about who and what inspired you to be the leader you are today. Anyone can start. Um, I think that, I mean, it, it always evolves over time, but I think I started at a very young age being brought up very, by a good family who taught me not to do wrong to others and to always be considerate. And then mixed with my personal religious background, I think um, cemented in me that there's higher standards that you have to hold yourself to and that there is a reason that you're doing things on a day-to-day -day basis and that your actions do matter um, at a higher level. And so I think those two things combined guided me throughout the years as I was making decisions and deciding what was important to me personally. For me, uh, my experiences, I, I've dreamt of being a police officer from a very early age. 
I'm going to say five years old because that's about as far back as I can remember. And it was from watching uh, television shows. And uh, one of the things, uh, I, I was born and I was raised in East Los Angeles. And for those of you who are familiar with East Los Angeles, it's a primarily Hispanic neighborhood. And historically, the police aren't very well liked uh, in that neighborhood, uh, list like many neighborhoods that maybe you're from. And I noticed that as I grew older and I wanted to be a police officer, everybody I talked to about being one would kind of reject it. It's like, why do you want to be one of them? Uh, they're awful. They're not the good guys. And uh, that was a little devastating for me as I was getting older. But I realized that, uh, that I wanted to pursue my dreams. And obviously, I'm sitting here in front of you as a police chief today, so I accomplished that. But a lot of that was through a lot of trial and error and really looking at life differently and really believing that you as an individual can make a difference. So, for example, if people believe that the police don't treat people well, how do you change that? Uh, you become one. Uh, you uh, do the best you can within that field, and then you become a leader or get into management and start making policies, procedures, and training guidelines that changes uh, the perceptions of the police. Uh, so that's just uh, one perspective of many stories I could share with you about leadership. Well, in, in my case, um, I share with Celeste that a lot has to do with my, my parents and how I was brought up and the examples that I received from my family. Uh, my father is an architect, and I remember since I was very little that he would employ um, a little bit older people. And I would come to him very na naively, and I would say, Dad, but this person is really old. <laughs> and, you know, how can they, isn't it bad that you're still making them work? And he would say, no, it's the opposite. If I don't employ them, then somebody else won't, and they won't be able to bring food to their homes. So that really impacted me and made me realize, wow, you know, it's like sometimes we don't, we, we see things from one perspective, but we don't see the other side of the coin, which is you impact people's lives and you give people's opportunities, uh, you know, to keep growing and to be able to bring food to their, to their families. Um, so that just stayed with me throughout my life. So I've always made sure that throughout my career and in every organization that I get involved, I always find a way to get involved with some group or some effort or some initiative where I can touch people's lives. Currently at Univision, actually two years ago, we launched an initiative that is called the Women's Leadership Council, where we're trying to empower women within the organization so that they take more leadership roles. Because as many of the ladies sitting in the room will know, especially with the Lean In movement and Sheryl Sandberg, uh, we just don't get enough of a voice at the board level uh, level or VP level. So as a group, we need to really join forces, and, and, and together we will be able to affect change. And the, and the first step is by supporting each other and being a network and a place where we can rely on each other and empower each other. So when this organization started at Univision, I was the first one to lean in and raise my hand and say, I want to be part of this. And I was appointed the lead of the local chapter in Los Angeles. And for the last two years, we have invited, actually, some of, uh, of the teachers that are here at the Cal State Long Beach. I have one professor that came to give a talk. And we have brown bag lunches where we bring people to come uh, to Univision and empower uh, women that are just starting out their careers or they're in middle management so that they can earn those skills. What do I get out of it? The satisfaction to see that my network and the people that I know and I bring to the table through these brown bag lunches are actually impacting other women's lives and empowering them. So I guess that's, that's what makes me, that's what drives me when I see the results of what I do. All very well said. Um, something that you all mentioned was your upbringing. So another question we have for you is how does your personal code of ethics and that is influenced by your upbringing, how does that match up with the code of ethics that you find in your workplace, in your profession? So I, I actually, in preparation for this, I made sure I got our official code of ethics from the law firm. Um, we have two. The first one is it, it guides our relationship with our clients, and that is guiding them to success. Um, but I think the more developed one is 
guiding our, our role as an attorney and the aspects we should be aiming for in our practice. And so our code of ethics at the organization is excellence in all aspects of our representation of our clients, teamwork and responsiveness in meeting the client's needs, and integrity in practicing law with ethics and in, and in accordance with the firm's policies and values. And um, I really appreciate that I actually, I mean, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, the firm has never asked me to do anything I've felt ethically uncomfortable with, um, which I really appreciate. And that was one of the things that I tried to get a feel for when I was interviewing with them, which was, what is your view on practicing ethically? Especially since I'm a corporate lawyer, what is your view as a corporate lawyer guiding corporate clients? And so uh, that I, I think their code of ethics is well-practiced as well as it's articulated. Despite what we see on how to get away with murder? <laughs> We make jokes about this. Law practice is not that glamorous, guys. <laughs> we send emails saying, like, right when Suits came out, there was like, yeah, they should make a real show about our life. And then we just sat there for like 10 minutes going, <laughs> not a computer. So um, despite what you see, yeah. Chief Luna, how about you? Uh, for me, again, when you have the image of a police officer, you have the image of somebody in a uniform, uh, somebody who provides service, uh, somebody who's honest, uh, who's unbiased, uh, who's fair, uh, and that's no matter what social economic status you fall under, what color you are, uh, no matter what it is, you are there uh, to help. So uh, for the law enforcement code of ethics, everything I just described is basically in there. It, it talks about the Constitution of the United States. It talks about the fact that you do police in a very fair and unbiased manner. Uh, no matter uh, what you think, you've got to follow the law. And a lot of that is tied into uh, individual values. So along with our code of ethics, which is taught to police officers uh, from day one, uh, one of the things that we do is we reemphasize that over your career uh, to make sure that you don't forget that. Uh, and even though we do that, just like in many fields, uh, specifically in law enforcement, public trust is what it's all about. And uh, we could never ruin that public legitimacy that uh, we have to have in order to perform our duties. Because you got to remember, as a police officer, uh, we have a lot of authority. We have the authority to take somebody's liberty away. Uh, and at times, uh, we have the right to take somebody's life away. Uh, the public has got to have trust in their police officers. So to have uh, a core value system uh, that talks about ethics at the foundation of it, the fact that every life absolutely matters and what we do is paramount to police work. Well, in my case, this is television. So it's a little bit less serious and, and you know, as it relates to uh, or my other colleagues on the table, but um, the core values for Univision, but specifically for Galavision, which is the network that I work for, is to entertain, inspire, and empower our Latino community. So all of the, um, of the programming content, all of the shows that we select and that we put on the air are really created with a goal of entertaining you, inspire you, and, and empower you. Um, now, at, at, at the community level, however, Univision does a lot of community work. In fact, if you come to my office, which is off of the 405, and going to uh, LAX, I don't know if you guys have ever driven by there, but there's this big Univision building. So that's where I work. And at the bottom studio, we have a humongous area, almost as large as this room, that has all these cubicles with little phone booths that generally, during the day, when I go down, are empty. But those phone booths are actually full during weekends or during times where there is uh, something important happening in the community. So we do uh, food drives or we start talking to people when, when uh, it's about election time or about immigration. So those phones get filled with volunteers that help people answer their questions. And we receive questions. I mean, my, we, we were, I work for a corporation just like Corporate America, right? We have phones and we have like 100, 200 people in, in the building. And every now and then I get the phone call about, hey, you know, I have a situation, I have a problem, I need help. 
and there's always a way to refer them to our community relations department because Univision really has become a part of the community in every sense of the word, not only in terms of entertaining via television, but also being a, a, you know, an important member of the, of the community when it comes to supporting them in all other aspects of their life. And we have about a couple more minutes before our first break is supposed to occur. Um, so let's talk a little bit about ethical behaviors. What would you describe as ethical behavior, the definition for you, and how do you instill that within your workplace if you're a leader? For Celeste, how do you kind of promote that amongst your peers? So I think at a very base level, ethics, I think my personal values are very minimum, do mo no harm. But you should strive to make every interaction, the people you come across, the situations you come across, leave them better than what you found them. Um, and so I think the way, and from a behavioral standpoint, the way you exhibit that is that you, you, you be a leader, you, you demonstrate by action. So you show that you expect the best from yourself and that you act towards others in such a way that you motivate them, motivate them to be the best that they can be but then also showing grace and understanding in, in the situations when inevitably something falls short. Um, as you mentioned, I'm fairly, I'm fairly young in the professional community, and I think the best way to do that is to show that you're a leader to those above you in the organization. And um, I, there have been a couple times where a partner has asked me to work late, and I just, yeah, okay, give me give me the assignment, and they, you know, you have a really good attitude, and, and I think they, that comes through to the client and um, showing that I'm willing to put the extra mile in for them. So from the police department perspective, from day one, when you go into the police academy, you're taught the law enforcement code of ethics, and those are multiple paragraphs, and uh, that is the standard, and you will not go below that standard. Uh, as you go into the field, uh, it is consistently uh, re-emphasized. Uh, and again, it's about integrity. It's about being honest. Uh, we emphasize public trust and the fact that that's got to be there uh, with our community. And in order to maintain that standard, apart from the training that we give uh, initially and then give it again and again as your career goes on, uh, you have to model the behavior. Uh, for me, as the leader of this police department, uh, I have to lead by example, uh, without a doubt. And uh, it's not only my personal conduct, but anytime there is daily opportunities for you to show what that standard is and what it means to you, and it is in the way you say thank you, it is in the way you commend people for doing certain things. If you want to promote a certain level of activity, ethical behavior, uh, you make sure that it's recognized throughout the organization so people know that it's important because uh, people pay attention to what you sanction, uh, what you reward, and what you discipline for. And that's the other part is that when someone falls off of that track of what the standard should be within our law enforcement code of ethics, uh, there is significant discipline that is issued. And most people don't know this, but in most police departments, specifically ours, we terminate several people a year. Uh, and that's for not meeting the standards that we have. But because of personnel law, we don't discuss those specific cases. So a lot of you are going to go to corporate America. And you're going to work at offices where you're going to be uh, given access to a lot of items and, you know, call it pens and pencils and paper, <laughs> right? As simple as that. So my line about ethics is ethics is what you do when you think nobody's watching, right? So when you think nobody's watching, would you take the pen and take it home? Because guess what? One times the 300 people sitting over here times the dollar that it cost, and every day you take a pen, that adds up. And that's actually part of ethics is, oh, well, you know, I'm taking a pen. The company doesn't care. Well, that, that shows a little bit of character. So think about it before you take the pen. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but but the, the other part is about what you think, you know, when I was saying ethics is what, uh, you know, what you do when you think nobody's watching you, is the think part. 
Because there's many times where we do things thinking nobody's gonna know or nobody's gonna watch. And if me as a leader, I go and I ask my, uh, you know, one of, the, of my managers, hey, you know, I, I'm in marketing, right? So we have a lot of tchotchkes, you know, cool stuff we give away to our clients. Um, so if, if one day I come to her and say, oh, you know, can you give me one of those things? I'm, I'm going to go with a friend and I just want to give her a gift. Well, that obviously is showing very little ethics in how I use company property. Um, or if I do something uh, and I think she's not watching but she watches, then I'm giving really a bad example. So I agree. Uh, it's about modeling and it's about doing uh, things the right way in your opinion, obviously, that hopefully will match the company values and, and the general code of ethics of the world. Uh, but it is about modeling and it is about you being aware that always somebody is watching. Scary. <laughs> Those are all very great points. Thank you so much. I think we're going to get all of our pens back today, so that's great. Um, <laughs> We have to take a really short break, but feel free to take a moment, brainstorm about those questions because it's coming up at the end of this discussion portion. Thanks. Let's face it, not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Speaker Series recording from Ethics at the Beach, hosted by Cal State University Long Beach. I'm Asia Celestino, filling in for Rick Franzi. All of our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net. And let's get back to our panel discussion Today's theme is ethical leadership, behavior, and consequences, real-life results. And here to offer their expertise is our guest panel, Celeste All, associate at Rattan and Tucker, chief of police for the city of Long Beach, Chief Robert Luna, and Ariella Nerubai, vice president of audience acquisition at Galavision and Univision. So let's pick up where we left off. The question that I have uh, next on the docket is, how do you instill confidence in your team during times that your industry, um, this could apply to any of your industries really, is portrayed or perceived as being unethical? I'll start off answering that. Uh, for me, I, I think for all of you, uh, unless you don't watch television or listen to social media or monitor social media, right now police work is one of those areas where a week doesn't go by where without somebody attacking law enforcement in general because of multiple things that are going on across the country. So uh, for us in our, our leadership positions in the police department, it can be said for any organization, you have to have more face time with your employees. You have to re-emphasize uh, what you're there to do in the beginning. And I've talked about our law enforcement code of ethics. I've talked about our core values. And that's actually an opportunity for you to go out and reinstill those and remind everybody of why we're there in the first place. Uh, and then just a couple of other quick points is um, respect is a big word. It's a word that is absolutely necessary, I believe, in any business. And that starts uh, internally in the way from me as the chief of police treat every single employee because I can't expect our employees to go out and treat people with respect if they're not treated the same way internally. So you are consistently uh, encouraging and empowering employees uh, to go out uh, and be who they are, uh, remind them of our responsibilities, uh, and to keep on going forward, keep on moving forward, but do your best when you go out there because you represent not only yourself, but you represent an entire profession across the country. Magnificent points. Um, th our next question is for Celeste. Um, sometimes something is legal, but not necessarily ethical. Would you give us an example? So I actually, I thought really hard about this one because I was trying to come up with a law that's affirmatively unethical. And I, I wasn't really able to come up with anything too great. I think what it is about the law is that um, I mentioned two levels. The very minimum is do no harm. And I think most of our laws aim at that base level. Don't do harm to others. If, if not, something will, will make you fix it. Um, or you'll go to jail. Um, they don't 
they don't hit the best standard in my mind, though. They don't affirmatively require you to go out of your way to help other people. And so, for example, very few states have a good Samaritan law. So if you see someone dying on the ground next to you, you don't even have to call the hospital. You can just let them die on the ground next to you. And, it, and it's because we've created a system, and maybe you think that's fine, maybe not. It's a personal question, maybe. But I think the, the law doesn't require you to sacrifice yourself on any level in order to help other people. And from my point of view, it's not unethical necessarily, but it's also not best ethics practice. But the good thing about being a lawyer is we, we have a very developed code of ethics as a profession. We have to take a test even before you take the bar to make sure you understand those ethical rules of professional conduct. Um, you have to do certain amounts of training every year to be reminded what those, those professional rules are. And one of my favorites is Model Rule 2.1, which says that lawyers are to give independent and candid advice, but their candid advice may include not just legal advice, but the ramifications on social, political, um, on people, and on other aspects that might affect society. And so I think going into best practices, one of the things a lawyer can do, because you are given a, in a position of respect and people listen to your advice is to say, you know, this is what you're legally required. You can hit that minimum level and that's, you're not gonna get in trouble, but have you thought about this? Could you consider it doing this way and that way you would minimize the damage to these people potentially? Um, and, and so in that sense of the role, an a lawyer as an advisor I think is in a really unique position to not do the, the law's base level, but also to encourage people to aim for the higher standards that could be met. How, and this is for the entire panel um, to answer, it's open to you, you don't have to. Um, how do you create a supportive environment for the people in your company, in your firm, in your business, in your department to uphold ethical standards? You kind of touched on this a little bit. There's a difference between standards and best ethics. I'll take that one. Um, in, in my case, again, because I do marketing, um, there is a lot of numbers that come when it comes to results and talking to clients about the results that we generate for them. Um, and I believe that the way that I, I allow uh, my people to be ethical is by giving them permission to fail. And what I, what I mean by that is that when, for example, we're developing a social media campaign and it, the, the numbers don't turn out to be so good, numbers, again, you can fudge them. You can say, oh, it did better than than we thought, or you can manipulate them so they look better than they could, that they should be looking. Uh, but I allow them to, to fail and to say, you know what, this didn't do well, these are the reasons why we think uh, didn't work, and this is how we're gonna be operating on the next one, or these are the changes or adjustments we're gonna do to the media plans, or this is the, these are the creative tweaks we're gonna execute so that we can generate better results next time, and we just continue tracking that way. So you need to allow people to make mistakes, and because otherwise, if people are scared to death to fail and to make mistakes, then they're going to do everything in their power to look good, and that's when ethics comes to place. So, you know, like, well, maybe I don't want to lose my job, so I'm going to, you know, fudge a little the number here so I, I look better than I should. Yeah, and and a big part of what she's describing is is really leadership, and remember, there's a big difference between being a leader and applying leadership. A leader is somebody who's in a position because somebody gave them the authority. They gave them uh, the classification. Uh, but you gotta ask yourself this, and that is you want to be the kind of person who people follow because they believe in you. Uh, they believe in what you do and, and, and how you do it. And, uh, and that's where when it comes to even ethical issues, uh, applying that level of leadership. Uh, another big important part of leadership is it's all about relationships. It's the way you communicate with people. So you're not only focused on, on what to do, but you're actually more focused on how to get there. So when you allow people to, to fail, for example, and, and the way you allow them to recover uh, from that, you coach them and mentor them uh, through things, that that, that is part of ethics. It's, it's part of a compassionate way of doing things, and they in turn start treating other people around them that same way. To show that level of integrity creates a very positive 
atmosphere in any workplace. I think that leads to the next question because it's safe to say that almost everyone grows up with some sort of standard of ethics, right or wrong, on some level. So in your opinion, what are the real life consequences for unethical behavior? Because as we know, people don't always receive the consequences that were taught in school. Well, I mean, you get sued or <laughs> go to jail um, for, I mean, lawsuit, lawsuit, you think of damages, but it could be damages, so high, treble damages, punitive damages, that you actually run your entire business into the ground. And you have to think about that not only are you ruining potentially your own reputation and your own future, but how many employees had to get laid off? How many, I mean, where is that money coming from? Who is that really damaging? But I also think that it's maybe overlooked sometimes. I think you maybe ruin your own vision of yourself. People have a tendency, to, I think, to internalize. They take a label, I messed up in this sort of way. So I must be that sort of person. And then I've se I feel like I've seen it spiral into they've made that a description of their character rather than an event that happened one time. And then they start acting in accordance on a more regular basis with the character that they've created for themselves. And that it's just harder, I think, to come back to the person you strove to be in the first place. So for me, I started off talking about my dream, living out my dream, being a police officer. So to me, this profession, although I'm not wearing my uniform today, I normally do wear one. The badge I wear means everything to me. It really does. So when somebody uh, violates our ethical standards, uh, to me it becomes very personal because it's a hit on everything I ever grew up believing that this profession should be. So specifically in police work, when you find somebody violating ethics, uh, we go harder after them than we would almost any violent gang member on the street because to us, that, again, it's very personal. Uh, so uh, we go full bore in filing charges against people when we find those things. And for us, we're very proactive, for example, with our community and the media saying, hey, we arrested one of our own or we had to take certain action against one of our own, always being careful from the legal ramifications about what we can share uh, because it's a personnel matter, but, but we take it extremely serious. Mm -hmm. um, in the business world, your reputation is all you have. Everybody that knows you for the hard work that you do or for the results that you give, is the, are, those are the people that would then refer you to other jobs or refer you to other opportunities. So your code of ethics goes hand by hand with your ability to grow and develop. Um, there, uh, in addition to that, people talk. Just like, you know, I always thought when, when you get out of high school, everything stays in high school, but it doesn't. It comes back <laughs> to the workplace and life continues to be the same. People talk and people gossip. So that's why your, you know, your image and your reputation is so important because you don't want people talking bad about you because that doesn't help you. But besides that, because everybody talks and industries are small, and, and everybody knows everybody, unless you completely go to somewhere different, but still will come and hunt you. Um, there is an example uh, at Univision, there was one person that very sadly, because he was a very nice person, uh, committed a, a really bad uh, judgment error, or error of judgment, I don't know how you say it. And, uh, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nielsen, which is the measurement, or you know, there's Nielsen, there's other different measurements of ratings. Um, so this was a person that had a show, and they, they became uh, Nielsen rated home, which is in completely conflict, you know, because it's like, if you are a producer of a show, or you run a show, or you are a creator of a show, and then all of a sudden, you're gonna become Nielsen rated home, and you're gonna tune into your show, so that the numbers go up, that is in complete, you know, conflict of interest with, with you know, with what you're doing. You're basically upping the numbers. Uh, so, Nielsen found out, I don't know if it was Nielsen and it was arbitrary, one of the two, but the point is that the company found out that this was, you know, an infra infringion or, you know, something that shouldn't have gotten done by this employee and then the employee was uncovered and laid off, of course. And uh, do you think this employee will ever get a job again? 
at least in the industry. No, because people already know about this. People talked about the event. Uh, the name of this person was on every person's mouth in the organization and other organizations. So this person really was blacklisted, and it's, it's a shame because it wasn't a bad person which is the other thing between ethics. I mean, you don't necessarily, when you make a judgment, an error of judgment, judgment, how do you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It <laughs> uh, doesn't mean, doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person that made a, a you know, a bad, a poor judgment. But unfortunately, all of that has repercussions. So you have to be super careful with the kind of decisions that you choose to make in a business environment and in your personal life. And if, and if I just may add something really quick, uh, which you may think is a little controversial, but to me, we talk about leadership and ethics because they're so tied together. To me, true leadership starts at home. So for example, uh, if, if, if I'm in the position where I may be considering somebody for a promotion, but yet you're looking at candidates and you find out that whether it's, 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 it's a male or a female, they got a reputation around the company for uh, maybe he or she is married, but they have a reputation for sleeping around, okay? Do you think that has something to do with integrity? I think it does. Because if you don't show integrity at home, if, if you're cheating on your spouse and you have kids at home, uh, when you have to make significant judgment or decision-making calls, what do I think you're gonna go right back to? So just, I just put that out for food for thought for everybody, is that those decisions you make across the board, uh, and for us, specifically in police work, we don't only look at what you do on duty, we look at what you do off duty. It, it impacts, we discipline people when they do things off duty. Um, so just remember that as you move forward in, in your careers uh, to what you think about in those judgment calls. I think that's, I mean, I think what there's, to the extent they're saying your reputation and things that you do spread, that's true in every industry. I was interviewing for a job, and one of them said, so I heard you played softball for nine years. And I said, yeah? But I was very confused, because that was nowhere on my resume. And he said, well, I talked to this guy who talked to this guy who had heard of you, and we interviewed them before we interviewed you. And I wasn't even a lawyer yet. And so if you think, I mean, what they're saying about people watching and people talking about you, they, if, if you're going to be a part of their organization, they will find out about you ahead of time. So any, don't think that anything is necessarily off limits, especially if you put it on the internet. So beware. Yeah. Beware of Facebook and Twitter. Seriously, your accounts have to be impeccable. They really should. <laughs> Those are all really important points. Thanks again for sharing. Um, we're getting ready to take our final break. Um, after this, we will be having a Q&A we're going to have two volunteers go around, kind of similar to the keynote speaker's Q&A portion. So when we come back, just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll come to you. We're live from Cal State Long Beach's ninth annual Ethics at the Beach. We'll be back after the break. Successfully navigating the changing world of public relations and digital marketing requires an experienced, tenacious, yet gracious team. In business for more than 20 years, Orange County-based T&N Company delivers big agency results with personalized service. For more information, call us at 714-536-8407 or visit us online at tnco.me. Okay, so I will go first. This is for um, both Chief Luna and, and Ariela. Um, you guys both mentioned um, allowing people to fail. So how do you still support that individual, but yet let them know that what they did was wrong, or, or how do you still discipline that? In my case, I, I have a small team. So I have two people that report to me currently um, directly, and then indirectly I have a lot of other people. But um, we have very, uh, a, cl a, a close relationship, and we are, I'm very open. I have an open-door policy. So um, when anybody that reports to me makes a mistake, and the first thing is that I talk to them, and them immediately, um, I believe there's a lot of people in business in corporate America that 
you know, they see something, they think about it, but they don't really say anything. Comes evaluation time six months later, and that's when everything is written on that evaluation. And then you surprise people, and then you alienate people. And I don't think that's the right way. So my personal way of doing things is that, and I do that in my life. You know, I, I, what you see is what you get. I'm very transparent throughout my life and in business and personal and, 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 and every relationship I have. So I practice it with uh, the people that I collaborate with and that, I, and that work for me. So if I see that you did something wrong, I will immediately call you into my office and say, hey, you know what, um, although I appreciate your attempt to find this, this, this way or to try to do things differently, um, there, this, is, this is not right. I do call it as it is. You know, this is not right because there is, uh, there is some fuzziness here in these numbers and honestly, don't worry about it. I mean, if it didn't work out, say the way it was and then offer a solution. So that's, that's how I go about it, is I bring them to my office and I tell them, offer the solution, don't be afraid to fail, and then, uh, and then we take it from there. But I, I, do, take it, I, t I do do a head on, I don't wait to surprise them six months later. And focused on, again, I keep on going back to that word leadership. Uh, and if all of you were working for me and it was your first day with me, I would tell every single one of you, uh, I'm, I'm gonna encourage you uh, and empower you to do the best that you can. Think out of the box. Uh, it's okay to make mistakes, uh, but I do put parameters on that for me. Uh, if, if it is not unethical or it is not illegal, uh, if you're really trying your best to make things work out, and it's, it's a matter of just over trying as opposed to doing something with malice, then it is my job uh, to coach you and mentor you and teach you and how to do it right. It's, those are those opportunities that everyone's gonna be watching. Even though I may just be dealing with you, everybody's paying attention to my interaction with you. And then what I do as a result of it. Uh, and then if, if I train you and you become better, then everyone sees that and says, hey, it's okay. It's okay to fall down uh, and somebody's gonna dust you off. And I don't know for many of you, but as I was growing up, no one ever taught me that failing was okay, as long as you re can recover from it or teach you how to get up after you fall. Because I gotta be honest with you, and I think in our culture, in our society, it's not okay to fail. And I think we, we need to turn that around as business leaders and say, hey, it is okay to do that. And that's how you encourage people to think out of the box. And, and that's where that creativity is gonna come from that no one else has gotten and it's gonna make you get ahead. So again, it, it's all about leadership and how you do it, and it's every day. Thank you both so much. Yep, uh, my question is for Mr. Robert Luna. You mentioned that um, police officers have uh, been thought about um, code of, uh, of ethics through the training, and you do the, the re-emphasize once they become police officer. How do you do that? Is uh, there party trainings within the same police station? Uh, for us at the Long Beach Police Department, because we're a large agency, we have a police academy. So in order to get, you get recruited and you get hired and you go through an academy that is six months long. And then after you get out of the academy, your training continues with a training officer. So not only is it emphasized in a classroom setting, but it's emphasized once you get out into the field uh, and then as you move around the department, uh, because it is a large agency and there's so many opportunities and there's diverse opportunities, so if you wanna promote, if you wanna go to work narcotics, you wanna work canine, you wanna work SWAT, those are testing processes that you have to go through all over again where you are talking about uh, your reputation, uh, what you bring to the table, you're putting a resume together uh, and it's uh, an environment where people know who you are, how you think, uh, how you treat people, and that all becomes critical, uh, and that's part of how we do it. And then we have advanced officers training. We have a lot of training guidelines where in our business, uh, four times a year you have to go back to the academy for an entire day where we are teaching you perishable skills, uh, whether it's, it's ethics, it's driver training, CPR first aid, uh, bias policing, there's so many different categories and we just do that and redo it again. So a lot of times when you hear in our budgets we talk about the importance of training and law enforcement, uh, that's why it's so important. I have a question over here. 
Um, this is for Chief Luna. You did mention that growing up, um, the people around you didn't approve of your dream of being a police officer. Um, personally, my dream is to be a CFO of a company. What is some advice that you could give to all of the students here about following their dreams? Dream big and work your butt off. Uh, you, people, most people don't understand how hard it is to get to where you need to get to. And that means that you give up a lot. Uh, as I was growing up, uh, my friends were out partying and drinking. I wasn't. I was in school. Uh, I became a reserve volunteer officer. Uh, on, so Fridays and Saturday nights, instead of going out, I was working. Uh, once I started, when I went back to get my master's degree, uh, again, uh, you buckle up. You work full time, working 16-hour days, sometimes six days a week, and you find a way to do it. Uh, you have to just continue to work. Uh, you're going to fall down a couple of times, but you got to get up and keep on going. And I think the most important piece of advice that I can offer anybody in here is that look for people in positions that you want to go to. Make the time to make appointments with them. Uh, have coffee with them. Uh, I can't tell you how many kids I open the door to in our community who want to be police officers. I just met with a, a young African-American uh, young man, very sharp kid. He wants to be an FBI agent. And I just met with him and his dad. And uh, that took a lot of courage for him to say, hey, can I meet with you? But he did it. And now I'm able to connect him with other people so that I could put him on a track, whether it's through education, uh, hands-on training, uh, connections, get mentors out there and do the same thing. And you will stay on a track that's amazing. Opportunities open up uh, because people love, I love to see especially young people who are motivated and encouraged and have those dreams. It's almost like you have no choice, but hey, what can I do to help this person? So yeah, absolutely. If I may build on, why, uh, on what uh, Rob, Mr. Luna just that's Robert. Robert, <laughs> yeah, I'm not Chief, Chief Luna <laughs> just said. Uh, it's very important to network. Your network is seriously your golden pot. I mean, your, yeah, it's gold. Uh, I live and die on my network. I constantly meet people. I'm out there following up and following through, which is very important. The two biggest qualities I see in people is when they follow up and they follow through. When they say they're going give to give you something and they give it to you the day and at the time that they said they were going to do it, I, and then the, the second one is following up. So many people come to me and say, oh, can I meet with you? Can I, we talk? Can we go for coffee? I'm like, absolutely. I'm always open for that. And then I never hear from them again. Or it happens, and, and for me, it's the opposite. If I find somebody that I'm intrigued by and I want to meet, actually I met um, the head of Sony Television on LinkedIn. I literally sent her a LinkedIn and I said, hey, you know, I am the general manager of this cable network. You're the general manager of Sony Television. You're just 10 times bigger than I am. Uh, but, you know, I'm very impressed with you. Can I take you out for coffee? And she said, absolutely. So I actually drove to the lot, which is 15 minutes away from my office, took her out for coffee, and she's like, so who are you again? I said, I'm just somebody who wants to meet you, so let's, let's chat. So we started chatting, and we actually became friends and developed a relationship. And I am the one who stayed on top of her in the sense that, you know, I kept sending her emails once a quarter. And I would say, hey, how are you doing? Let me share with you the latest things I've been doing. What have you been doing? And over the course of the years, you develop a network that is solid, that is strong, that you can leverage or tap into when you need it. You can't expect to grow your career by just being in your office and working long hours and very hard, which I agree, you have to. But if you're in your office and nobody sees it, then the day you get laid off, guess what? You don't have anybody to call. And you're not going to call somebody, and then all of a sudden you have a cold relationship because you haven't talked to them in years, or they don't even know you. Nobody's going to help you. You have to keep your relationships warm and active on a quarterly basis. Use LinkedIn to tap into people in power that you want to network with, but make them a relationship. You know, I have like a thousand connections in LinkedIn I don't think that I really talk to a thousand people, you know, in general. But you pinpoint those that matter to you, 
that are on your career path in your industry or the industry you want to go into, and you keep them warm and you keep at it on an ongoing, consistent basis and, and, and just developing that relationship. That will get you a lot farther than just working hard for the sake of working hard and being in an office. You definitely have to network and work really hard and show results. Okay, is this, yeah, it's working. Um, I'm gonna start this off with Robert Luna. Um, you're familiar with Ferguson, right? Just what I see on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you did mention in how areas in LA that generally the police aren't well liked. Um, to universalize this to Celeste and Ariella as well, was there any time that you felt your reputation leadership or leadership was being challenged questions because like you said it's all about reputation was there any time you felt like people didn't think very positively of you or what you were doing and how did you cope with that or what did you do about it for me in my field every day uh, and, and that's one thing I have to get used to in being the chief of a major city in the United States is that uh, as hard as I try to make everybody happy, uh, you can't. Uh, that being said, you stick to your values. Uh, this is about ethics, you stick to your ethics. And as long as you're doing the right thing, and at the end of the day, at the end of the week, or at the end of your career, you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I gave it my all. Uh, I was doing the right thing for the right reasons, uh, providing service, making a difference, uh, then, then I'll be smiling. I'll be smiling. But it's not easy. Uh, it's never easy to read something negative about, about you, uh, the people you really care about, uh, the department you really love or the city you love. And, but you've you got to get through, the, through that uh, tough times and just make sure you're doing the right thing. That actually, so if you say you're a lawyer, people have one of two reactions. They either really admire you or they're immediately afraid of you and think you're probably the scum of the earth. When you tell them you're a corporate lawyer, you kind of have no shot. If you tell them that your focus is mergers and acquisitions, which is historically really not well looked upon because people associate you with mass layoffs and making rich people very much richer, it just it's almost impossible to explain to them that you're a very ethical person and you care about society. Um, and this is every day. And even with people that I really care about and have known for, me, for years sometimes, they sort of wonder what I've been doing with my life and what happened to that person I used to know who volunteered at a soup kitchen, um, which sometimes I st still do volunteer work. Um, even yesterday I was at Trader Joe's and the, the, you know, the person helping me check out said, well, are you, do you do something fun for a living at least? And I, or, and I was like, well, I'm a lawyer. He's like, well, is it at least not fun because you're out saving the environment? And I was like, <laughs> it's not because I'm a corporate lawyer, that's for sure. And so he sort of just looked at me. He's like, well, I'm kind of surprised you do. It was just, he was nice about it, but I could tell he was like, really? That's what you do? Um, and I think, echoing Chief Luna, the people who really know you and who are going to take the time to know you on a personal level are, are, are going to know who you are, your character. Um, and to the extent that that's, that's the one you probably should care most about controlling. But at the same time, every, I, similar to Chief Luna, I have a responsibility to society. I have a responsibility to my profession. And I think that the only thing I can do to that is hold myself responsible for my own personal code of ethics. And the reason I became a lawyer was because I wanted to help. I wanted to be on the inside trying to make organizations better. And as long as that's what I'm trying to do, every client that I advise, every transaction, you know, maybe employers are going to, or employees might be laid off in a certain transaction, but we try to talk to the, the selling company and say, can we work on ways with the buyer to mitigate this, at least give them notice ahead of time, things like that, um, to try to make the, the transactions, the organization as ethical as possible. 
In my case, I have been managing people for literally two decades. Um, I have been very fortunate to have people that have stuck around for a long time. Uh, I have employees that have been employees and uh, vendors that have worked for literally 10 or 12 years and established really long-term relationships because I believe in one-one, like in win-win in, in, uh, situations where it's not about squeezing the poor vendor out and just make me look good, but it's about, you know, you win when I win, and that way we develop relationships that mutually benefit. Uh, but it did happen once in my career that I had a disgruntled employee. It's really sad when that happens because as a, as a leader and as a, as a boss, you really take the time to nurture, mentor, and help each one of your employees to be the best that they could be. In my case, um, I guess I just push too hard because I, I hold myself to really high standards uh, of ethics and values and performance. So I, just the way I hold myself to really high standards of performance, I do the same with my employees and I expect really high levels of deliveries. So there was this one employee that, uh, that apparently felt that it was pushed to the edge because it was too much work, too many hours, too many goals, you know, or too high of a goal. So uh, ended up quitting. And, uh, and on her exit, uh, left a note that wasn't very flattering about me. Um, that note reached my boss, who was the chief executive officer of the company at the time. And he called me to his office. And I will never remember, I will never forget the moment where he looked at me and he said, I know that everything on this note does not reflect you at all because I know you as a professional, because I know you as a person and as an individual, and, uh, and because of the long-standing relationship that you and I have, I know that this is no reflection of who you are. But let's be aware that throughout your life, you will come across situations like this, and let's find a way to handle this so that you learn from it and we as an organization learn from it. So it was a, it was a, a humbling you know, situation for me because it never even, I, I didn't see it coming at all. I was literally just going 100 miles an hour, just, you know, firing, you know, uh, instructions, let's go this way, let's go that way, let's go da 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 And then you don't step sometimes to realize that there is one person being left behind that might not be happy and harvesting feelings that if I would have taken the time to step back and maybe look, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're kind of lagging. What's going on? Let's talk. Maybe I would have avoided that situation. But I guess the moral of the story is that as long as you're consistent with your behavior and your relationships and who you are, then people will know who you are, no matter what any other person says about you. Um, but, but it's always good to learn from situations like that. Thank you for your questions. As we close, I'd like to open up the discussion for the panel. Just one more point, um, one more key that you would really like the audience today to take away from this conversation on ethics. I think, and recently I've been realizing that a key point of ethics and just in relationships is to be nice and gracious to everyone you meet. That will go so much farther than you might imagine. Um, you know, a client who takes the time to say thank you or, you know, I understand if I need to push the deadline. But you know, And I always try to get it before the deadline. I almost never ask for an extension. But that will go a long way. And an opening communication and making sure that the advice that I give them is, is to their best interest. Whereas if they had been maybe sh more shut off to talking to me, it's going to be a lot harder for me to adequately represent them excellently. So be nice, be open to everyone. It'll, it'll go a long way, even tangibly. Think of the person that you love the most in this world. Uh, maybe it's a parent, uh, sibling, somebody you've met, and picture them being at work and how you want them to be treated. And that's the way you treat people. That's the way you treat everybody, uh, no matter what happens. And don't ever lower yourself to somebody else's level. My ethics uh, advice to you would be follow your gut. If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's have a round of applause for our expert panel.
We hope that you've enjoyed listening to our show today, live from the ninth annual Ethics at the Beach, hosted by Cal State University Long Beach. Thank you again to Janie and Eve and the rest of the Cal State Long Beach team, and of course our panel. We at Critical Mass hope that these interviews have given you new ideas and information to make better decisions about your own career. If you'd like to hear more interviews like this, you can go to criticalmassforbusiness.com, criticalmassforbusiness.com. Until the next show, we at Critical Mass Radio hope that all your decisions move you in a positive direction. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business.